Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following podcast is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. As you listen to it, we hope it will give you both personal encouragement and spiritual inspiration to live better as a man. As Bill mentioned, we're going to be going through some intense material. And so to stay with that intense material, you're going to have to have some toughness to make it through. But I want you to know, as you already probably know deep in your heart, there's not anything that's really valuable that isn't tough. Isn't that true? Anything that's really worthwhile requires some toughness. And uh, so the truths and the, uh, the uh, information that we're going to be going through over the next eight weeks, I really think are some of the most life-changing uh, thoughts and, um, and insights that a man can have to readjust his life and be the authentic man that he really wants to be. So you hang with us over these next eight weeks, and I can promise you that some of these sessions may be the key to unlocking your personal manhood, but it's going to require some toughness. And you go, well, how tough do I need to be over the next eight weeks? Well, I want to give you a story that will kind of be the image that I want you to have every Wednesday when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. Here's the story. Years ago, I uh, was talking to a professional football player about a friend of his that played for the Minnesota Vikings. His name was Bill Brown. Now, this is years ago. Bill Brown doesn't play football anymore, but he was an all-pro fullback for the Minnesota Vikings. And this guy who was telling me the story about Bill told me that he was one of the toughest characters that he had ever met, not just in football, but just in life. And I said, well, how tough was he? He said, well, let me just give you one illustration. He said, we were playing an exhibition game down in New Orleans. And it was one of those hot, muggy, super humid nights. And uh, if you've ever been down in New Orleans, since I grew up in Louisiana, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Around those light poles are these huge bugs that circle around the light poles. We call them down in my hometown, June bugs. But they're these huge bugs. And he said that uh, it was fourth down and the offense was coming off the field and Brown was coming off and his uniform was just soaked in sweat. And he had his helmet off and he had his head back and he was just sucking air <sighs> like that. And of course, he didn't have any front teeth. They were all knocked out. So he's coming off the field like that. And one of these June bugs come down from the light pole and fly around and go right into his mouth. The guy who was telling me the story said he watched that and Brown never even flinched. Didn't cough, didn't spit, didn't do anything. He just went, went through his helmet and just sat on the bench. So the guy telling me a story said he went over and he got a cup of water and he walked over to Bill Brown and said, would you like to wash that thing down? And he said, Brown was sitting there going, eh, eh, and then he stopped and looked at him. He said, if he wants down, let him walk down. <laughs> That's tough, isn't it? Okay, when the alarm goes off at five or the next eight weeks, you think, Bill Brown, he can do it, I can do it. I can get up and go. Well, this morning we're going to talk about remembering dad. And I want to start by asking you to remember back with me a few years ago 
to a character by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer was a young man who grew up in Milwaukee, and he was convicted in 1992 of murdering 17 people. But he not only murdered them, he took their bodies and dismembered them and then cannibalized them. Dahmer was convicted of his crime that year and sentenced to 975 years in prison. About two years into his uh, incarceration, Dahmer was murdered by some fellow inmates. And right after he was murdered, uh, some scientists wanted to take his brain and study his brain and see if there was a genetic propensity to that kind of violence. His mom was excited about doing that because she was under such guilt. The dad, Lionel, said, no, I, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to know anything. But then uh, several years later, Lionel began to be tortured about how his son could have gone from being the young boy that he knew to this serial murderer. And so being a university professor, he began to kind of explore his own life and raising that young man into manhood. And he wrote a book called A Father's Story. And in that book, it pictured the home life of Jeffrey Dahmer. It was a home life where there was, in Lionel's words, domestic conflict and parental neglect. He was a father consumed with his own graduate work rather than his son. He was too busy to participate in his son's life and he raised a boy, in his words, devoid of attention and affection. And then Lionel Dahmer summed up raising his son with these words. And so I wasn't there to see him as he began to sink into himself. I wasn't there to sense that he might be drifting towards that unimaginable realm of fantasy and isolation that it would take me nearly 30 years to recognize. I want you to look at the quote just for a moment. There are three key statements. I have them highlighted there in Dahmer's relationship with his son. I wasn't there. He began to sink into himself. He might be drifting. Well, what an understatement. But you know, when dad is missing from a son's life, a son does not have the strength to stand in life. He sinks. And he doesn't have the strength to stay put in the right places. His tendency is to drift in life. Not achieve the kind of manhood that he was meant to achieve under the tutelage of a healthy relationship with dad. Did you know that today in America, two out of every five children grow up in America fatherless? Did you know 50% of all children in America will spend part of their childhood in this country, as sophisticated as it is, without dad? You have a graph on your outline. I'd like you to fill in just for a moment. It shows the percentage of fatherlessness that has been steadily rising in America since 1960. For instance, in 1960, children living with father comprised 82.5% of all the children in America Living apart from father was 17.5%. But that changed in 1970 when 77.6% of all children were living with father as opposed to 22.4% without dad. Then in 1980, 
The number that were living with father declined to 67.8%. And the number living apart from father rose to 32.2%. Then in 1990, the last statistic we had, 61.7% lived with dad, 38.3% without dad. Now here's the amazing thing. Now it's about 40%, I've been told. But that's just the statistic that is measuring dad living in the home or away from home. That doesn't measure at all the invisible dads that are living with their children, who have no real connection raising healthy boys and girls. And let me tell you, that is a national tragedy that ought to cause us to weep. David Blankinghorn in his book, Fatherless America, writes, As a father, the good family man is not perfect, but he is good enough to be irreplaceable. He is a father on the premises. His children need him, and and he strives to give them what they need every day. He knows that nothing can substitute for him. Nothing. Either he is a father or his children are fatherless. He would never consider himself not that important. Let me tell you, the Scripture says that dad is not only just important, the Scripture says that the glory of sons is their fathers. That's what Proverbs 17, 6 says. The glory of sons is their dads. Every dad gets undeserved admiration from his son. The minute he comes into the world, there's just this natural instinct for a son to worship his dad and to give his dad all kinds of credits that he really doesn't deserve, but that's the way life starts. And dad can either build on that advantage or he can squander that advantage. A son looks to dad and says, I want to be like my dad. And if any of you are dads, you know that. You just see that natural admiration. They follow you around. They want to emulate your actions and activities. They're out bragging in the backyard. My dad can beat up your dad. My dad can run faster than your dad. They think of you as the superhuman. And if a dad builds on that and blesses his son, then his son goes out in a life steadied. His son has weight rather than weightlessness in his soul. His son has advantages other sons don't have. On the other hand, if dad squanders that and loses that advantage, one day, because the son will try not to recognize that in some of his formative years, but there comes a place where one day the son wakes up and realizes he hasn't been blessed. He's been wounded. And he begins to hurt. Now last week we defined a wound generally. Let me just... Again, quote what we said last week about a wound. We said it was an unresolved issue whose lack of closure adversely impacts in some way the quality of a man's life now. And we unpack some of those wounds in a, in a, in a, in a uh, general way. What I want to do is give you on the screen there the definition of the absent father wound. And you can put it down in your outline and it's this. It's an ongoing emotional, social, or spiritual deficit 
that's ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with dad that now must be overcome by other means. It's an emotional deficit. That is, there was no heart connection with dad. It was a social deficit. There was no companionship with dad. There was a spiritual deficit. Uh, there was no substantive connection of direction from dad. The question is this morning for us that I want to lay on the table is, these, is this question. How do you remember your father? How do you remember your dad? If I asked you this morning for you to give me three words or maybe three phrases that kind of summed up your relationship with your dad, what would it be? What would come to your mind? What would be the first things to rise to the surface? Would they be good memories or no memories? Would they be wonderful kind of warm feelings or would they be hard feelings? You know, it seems like when you ask that question, there's this great divide that takes place. Guys fall on either one side or the other. There's some guys here that in asking that question, how do you remember your dad? The first thing that came to your mind was that hunting trip or that warm hug or that instruction dad gave you. And you have great, great memories of dad. And so a lot of the things that we'll talk about this morning on the absent father wound, you won't be able to relate to, but it'll help you relate to other men who didn't have a dad. But if you've had those memories, then one of the things I would, those warm memories, one of the things I'd encourage you today, today to do is at some point in the next year, you ought to honor your dad by writing him a tribute. Maybe it's for Father's Day, or maybe it's at Christmas, or maybe it's at a special anniversary of some kind. It would be wonderful to sit down and just craft out a document in writing between you and your dad of what he really has meant to your life and then present it to him. Have it framed or something like that and give it to him. It'll be an incredible gift that he'll never forget from you. On the other hand, there are some of us that would find that exercise extremely difficult. We may still need to do it, but it would be difficult because we fall on the other side. And what came to the surface for us were things that we missed that we wanted but never received. Several weeks ago, I told you my story, but I'm going to sum up kind of in three words or phrases my relationship with my dad. I've already told you some of this, but this is what immediately would come to my mind. The first word would be drunk. That's what I remember. Remember my dad and holidays in particular, those were the roughest times for whatever reason. My dad stumbling through the house and my mom behind him yelling and screaming. And Christmas especially, was a difficult, difficult time for us. Another word that, I, that comes to my mind is just the phrase that it's kind of like a plea from a son's heart to his dad. I, it's, the, it's the words, show me. When I got to be in my mid-20s, I thought, I wish my dad would have shown me certain things that I didn't receive from him. And I wanted to ask him, why did you leave me guessing at everything? Why didn't you tell me how to do things? And I had to discover them kind of through uh, scratching and clawing. Everything seemed to be a dogfight for me from inadequacy to adequacy. And the humiliation in between made me mad. 
And I didn't want to be an angry guy, but I grew up an angry guy. Why weren't you there for me to take a few of the bumps out of life? Dad was always in the shadows. In fact, I got a picture that was kind of, kind of becomes art imitating life. And uh, this picture is from 1970. It was the last time the three boys and dad were all together in the same place. We'd never be together again after this moment. And uh, we were home visiting. My brother was in the Navy. I was about to go off to seminary. My younger brother, John, who's there uh, in the foreground, was about to leave college and go off and hunt and fish and do some other things in Wyoming for the next eight years and kind of get lost. But he was about to leave home. And so there we were. And my mom said, let's all go into the backyard and take this picture. And she did. She took this picture and there it is. And I thought, now that's an interesting picture. Sometimes there are pictures that just summarize life. Because there we are, the three boys in the bright sunshine. You see us there? In the kind of the, the full bloom of early manhood. And the sun is shining on us. We're clear. We're crystal clear in that picture. And then, do you see my dad? See, we didn't see him either. But not just in that picture. In all the years growing up, dad was always in the shadows. He was around, but we just never could get him into focus. And that's what it felt like growing up. There's a third word that comes to my mind, though, when I think of my dad. I think of the word, and I mentioned this to you before, it's just the word fishing, because the best of dad was in those three or four fishing trips where we connected heart and soul just for a short period of time. But you know, one of the reasons I like getting up early in the morning and having coffee is because on those fishing trips, we went down to that little post office cafe and we would go in right before we'd leave for the fishing trip and I can remember sitting at the counter and my dad would pour a little coffee into this cup and some milk and fill it up and have a coffee milk and I'd smell the coffee and, and all that and it just, it just became so important to my soul that it just registered there. And so every time I walk into a restaurant early in the morning, it just brings back that good experience just for a moment. But that's how I remember dad. Good and bad. There and invisible. All at the same time. How do you remember your dad? Did you know it's important to go there? It's a starting place for manhood. Is in remembering dad. Well, if you look back into your life and what you discover is a wound, we need to talk about the effects of that wound. What the absent father wound results in. I want to give you four things that I see in men that indicate they have a wound. The first is this. Anger and pain. Anger and pain. Boys that grow up to be men without dad feel anger. And they're not sure why and they feel pain. Did you know the Bible speaks clear to that? It shows the connection between a man's anger and his dad. Two verses in particular point that out. The first is Ephesians 6.4. Here's what it says. It says to dads, and dads do not provoke your children to anger, 
Isn't that interesting? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now it's talking about giving them life direction. Filling up their soul with substance. But it makes an interesting corollary there. It says if you don't do that, then what you are filling the soul of that child up with is anger. Because it'll frustrate, their life will be frustrated by their incompetency and their sense of inadequacy, their inability to deal with life in a way that makes them successful. So you can give them instruction or you can give them anger. It's your choice. There's another verse in Colossians, Colossians 3.21. And it says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. In other words, fathers, don't wear your children out that they may lose heart. That's what happens to a child growing up in a fatherless home. They lose heart with life. They don't feel like they're, they're any good. They don't feel like they're really going anywhere. And so they turn in on themselves. And that makes them mad. Or that takes the spirit out of them. One or the other. Anger or pain. You know, I can remember some of that. That sense of inadequacy of not having that substance to draw on. I remember being in junior high, showing up, first day of football, everybody's got their equipment and I don't. And I didn't know why. And the coach pointing out that I didn't have all the right equipment and everybody kind of laughing and pointing at me. And that made me mad. I didn't know who to get mad at. It just made me mad because I felt foolish. I can remember being in high school, dating a young lady and making mistake after mistake after mistake. I can remember being in that Buick Wildcat and leaving rubber 100 feet up the road after saying goodnight because she was mad at me and I was mad at her. And then I was mad at me. And I didn't know why I was mad at me except I didn't know how to engage a young woman in an adequate way. Because nobody told me. And I, I guessed at it. And as a 16 or 17 year old, I guessed wrong. And my way of showing that was leaving rubber all the way up the street. <laughs> Maybe that brings back a memory for you. James Tony, who was once the International Federation middleweight boxing champ, was pictured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And they were asking him why he was such a tenacious boxer. I want you to listen to his words. He said this, I fight with anger. My dad, he did my mom wrong. He made my mom work two jobs and he left his responsibilities behind. And I can never forgive that. I hope my father reads this article because if he ever decides to come out of the woodwork, I'll be ready for him. Everything I do in the ring is about that. I look at my opponent and I see my dad, so I have to take him out. I'll do anything I have to do to get my dad out of there. Whoa. You feel incredible pain there, don't you? Because you know, without a dad, a son's life has a vacuum in it. And part of what fills that vacuum is rage. And it's a kind of rage that he doesn't fully understand. 
but he goes out into life with it. And he wants to blame somebody for it, but he's not sure who to blame. But he hurts a lot of people. That comes from the absent father wound. Here's a second thing that comes from it. Extreme behaviors, specifically addictions or obsessions. You know, anger is one way a son expresses that pain. But addictions is a way you suppress the pain. You numb out. So when you have this big hole in your heart that you don't know what to do with, that should have been filled by a parent who loved you and cared for you, then it's easy to fall subject to things like drugs and alcohol. And guys, listen, pornography and sex. Because all those are ways of numbing a pain that a man doesn't understand. That's why it's so important in the first step of manhood to look back because sometimes we find ourselves locked into behaviors and addictions we don't understand. But if we could find the root, if we could go back and finally unlock the last door, what would be there would be the fact that we grew up alone. And part of the hurt in that and the frustration that began to mount through the years because of that, it became so painful. Rather than getting mad at everybody, we decided another alternative was just to numb out. And so we party. But part of the partying is to numb out the pain. Or we take drugs. Or we get on the internet and we live in a dream world, the dream world of pornography where we can engage in a pleasurable way someone else but without commitments, without any investment. Just, it's just a narcotic to feel good for the moment. Sometimes we fall into what I call obsessive behaviors because of an unhealthy relationship with dad. It's a way of resolving the pain, but it really doesn't. We are driven to win dad's approval. Even after we've left home, or we are going to show dad that I'm good enough so you'll notice me, so we become the workaholic, or, the, uh, or we become achievement crazy. We become the wild man. Some way to get dad to notice me, to make dad proud of me, to make dad love me. Those are obsessive behaviors, and we're, we're not really in contact with why we're driven. But way back at the root, there's a, there's a desire to be noticed and affirmed, an affirmation we never received. So extreme behaviors like addictions or obsessions. A third thing that's kind of a symptom of the absent father wound is an inner sense of lostness or incompleteness. Maybe we're not involved in those kind of extreme expressions but inside, we just feel weightless, lost. There's something just missing. There's just a missing piece, and we feel it. Burt Reynolds feels that. And he was able to trace it back to his dad. He was interviewed in Parade Magazine, and he made this statement. He said this, My dad was the chief of police. That's interesting, isn't it? We're going to hear his story. Remember, everybody has a story. Here's his story. My dad was the chief of police, and when he came into a room, all the light and the air went out of it. 
There's a saying in the South, no man is a man until his father tells him he is. It means that someday when you're 30 or 40 grown up, this man whom you respect and love and you want to love, you hope he'll put his arms around you and say, you know, you're a man now. And you don't have to do all those crazy things that you're doing and get into fistfights and all that to defend your honor. You don't have to prove anything to me. You're a man and I love you. But with my dad and me, we never hugged and we never kissed and we never said I love you. No, we never even cried together. Reynolds paused for a moment and then said these words. So what happened was that later, I was desperately looking for someone who would say, Bert, you're grown up now and I approve of you and I love you and you don't have to do these things anymore. But that didn't happen. And I was lost inside. For most of my life, I couldn't connect. I was incomplete. And I didn't know then what I needed to know now. And that's how a lot of men feel. And they don't know why. A fourth symptom of the absent father wound is homosexuality. Homosexuality. Listen carefully to these words by Dr. Elizabeth Moberly of Oxford University. In her study on homosexuality, she concluded that homosexuality for the most part, and these are her words, and I quote, it is a fracture of the relationship with the parent of the same sex. Homosexuality then becomes, at an adult level, a vain, eroticized attempt to recover from that fracture. You know, my older brother, Charles, the one who was the Navy veteran, the artist, the smart one, the sensitive one, he struggled desperately with dad. And he suffered that fracture. Moberly goes on and says, much if not all of homosexuality depends on difficulties in the parent-child relationship, especially in the early years of life. The homosexual, whether a man or a woman, has suffered from some deficit in the relationship with the parent of the same sex. And later, there is a corresponding drive to make good that deficit through the medium of same-sex homosexual relationships as an adult. It was after my brother graduated from law school and went to work for an oil company that he came out. But having grown up with him and having known him, it's real clear to me that Moberly is right on track here. It creates this fissure, this psychic fissure that you want to recover from, but can't. Or at least it's incredibly difficult. But that's part of the absent father wound. So what is it that every son wants and needs from his father? Can I give you five things? Five things I think that every son wants and needs from his father. Here's the first one. Time together. Just time together. Time that results in experiences that build kind of lifelong positive memories. Because that, that's like 
putting weight into a son's soul. It steadies him for, for life. And you can't, he can't drift when he's steadied because of these positive lifelong memories. When you look back over your life, it's memories that are the markers of life and give weight to life. And I've discovered that with my own sons. It's not taking them necessarily to play for an AAU basketball team or tennis team so much. I mean, it's great to have them involved in sports, but what I'm talking about is going out on a Sunday afternoon and playing imaginary football with them. Just throwing the ball around, pretending you're in some big game. And, and, and in that experience, there's something that's just pure joy that takes place. It's going out, just taking a walk together, climbing a mountain together, or taking a special trip together. Just me and dad. That's what he's thinking. Just me and dad. And it's fun, and you can, uh, you, you, can, you can build all kinds of imagination into that, but what you're really building is lifelong memories with a father that you want and desperately need to connect with. And that's what a son wants from you, Dad. He doesn't just want things. He wants you, time together with you, because ultimately good fathering is these wonderful memories together. Secondly, he needs... Life skills. Life skills. Here's the way it says it in Proverbs 22, 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And it's speaking of training up a child in the way he should go. That's adequacy. When he's old, he won't depart from it. You know why he won't depart from it? Because it'll make sense. He'll win in life. He won't be standing around when the hood's up, looking at the motor, wondering what it is. He'll know where the oil stick is. And he'll know how to measure the oil. He'll know how to check his tires. He'll know how to tie his tie. He won't be standing there with the guys in the dorm saying, could you help me tie my tie? And everybody laughing at him. He'll know how to write out a checkbook and keep up with his account. He'll know how to set his own alarm and get up for himself. He'll know how to keep his room clean. He'll know what to do when he and his date walk up to the door. He'll know what they need to do when they gather around the dinner table, when she goes to sit down. He'll know how to share his heart. He won't feel like a fool in life. Because you've trained him up in the way he should go. And that, that verse also speaks to the, the issue of being sensitive to your child's bent. It says, train up a child according to his bent because every child has a certain bent. So the dad recognizes what that bent is. He doesn't make an artist an athlete. He honors his ability to be an artist. Or the son who's, who's uh, uh, really good at science and he never was. He honors that and says, let me help you craft a path that'll help you maximize that gifting that you have. That's life skills. And every son wants that from his dad. So when he looks back, he says, you know, my dad helped me get here. And that feels good. 
Third, every son wants from his dad direction with solid why answers. Not just life skills, but he wants from dad a philosophy about what life is all about. He wants to interact with dad over that. And that's what Deuteronomy encourages dads to do with their sons. Look what Deuteronomy 6 says. It says, in these words which I am commanding, God is saying I'm commanding you today. He said, you take these words and sh they shall be on your heart, dad. And you shall teach them to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You're talking to your son about life and what's really important about life. Remember I told you that a lot of dads, you know, they'll, they'll be around their son. They, you know, we've got some new fathering going on here in the 21st century and it's good stuff in the sense that dad's more involved with his son's life. But a lot of times it's being around his son, attending his games or helping him with his homework. But this verse is going beyond that to the higher things of life. And that is, what is life about? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man with a woman? What happens to you when you die? That's the kind of things dad needs to be talking to his son about when they lie down and rise up and when they walk through the day and pointing out that because it's adding weight to the son's life. Fourthly, a son needs from his dad convictions through modeling. You can write this down because I think this is an important phrase. You will leave in your son what you've lived out in your home. It's not just what you say. It's what you do. It's the way you react. And the son sees that and that builds conviction a certain security about life. Here's the way Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians. He uses this statement of fathering to even talk about spiritual fathering, but he says it this way. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. That is, you saw our convictions. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Well, hopefully a father would his own children. But see, what a father implores and exhorts his own children with is his convictions. And the child sees those, those convictions and hears those words and it makes sense. And when you take convictions and modeling and words together, how you're living and what you're saying, and you put those together, you know what you call that? Integrity. Integration. And it's easy to follow that and want to be like that because you see the success of that. That's what every child needs. But most of all, here's what every son needs. Number five, dad's heart. Dad's heart. Every son needs to be loved by dad and affirmed by dad and blessed by dad. In fact, dad, if you're a dad here today, there are three things you better be sure your son leaves home with. And if you're a son here today and you haven't heard these words, we'll talk about this next week. These are the kind of things you still want to hear. But every son needs to hear from his dad these three things. I love you. I'm proud of you. And you're good at something. That's the blessing. Son, I love you. He hears those words from your lips. And those of us who grew up and didn't hear that, 
longed to hear that. I've stood over my dad's grave and wish he could have come out of the grave and said those words to me. I would still love to hear that. I'm proud of you. There's nothing that gives weight to a son than to have his dad put his arm around him, look him down and say, son, I am so proud of you. And then every son loves to hear his dad say, you're good at something. Some of us have incredible memories where dad just reached over and grabbed our leg and said, you are an unbelievable receiver. Or you're one of the smartest guys I know. There's nothing that motivates like that, is there, guys? Every son needs that. You know what's interesting? You can look in the Bible and you look at Jesus Christ and you think, here's Jesus Christ. He didn't need anything. Oh, yeah, he did. He was a man too. And did you know over and over again at critical moments in Jesus' life, heaven opened up and God, his Father, did those three things for him. Look for just a moment at Matthew 17, 5 and you see that. Here's a critical moment in Jesus' life and the heavens open up and these words are spoken. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Now what do you see in that? You see, this is my beloved Son. Son, I love you. Here it was a critical moment in Jesus' ministry and heaven opened up and the Father said, I love you. Then He says, in whom I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. And then he tells the disciples around Jesus, listen to him, because he's really good. He's really good. And I want you to know every son needs that kind of blessing from dad. And if a son doesn't get time with his dad or some life skills or some direction, some convictions or some heart, then it leaves this huge vacuum and void and wound in his life. And that's why writer, writer Gordon Dalby made this observation about men in America. He says, I've observed that inside most every business suit, most every pair of faded overalls, most every stay press sports shirt lies the wounded heart of a boy longing for his daddy. A number of years ago, Dan Gerald, who used to be one of the pastors here at Fellowship and now is in Alaska, was talking about these three essentials between a father and his son and how important they were. And if you didn't have those, how you still long for those things. And after the talk, a man came up and just slipped Dan a little note. And after the talk was over, when he got back to his hotel room, he opened up the note that he had. And these are the words that it said, dear Dan, my father was killed in World War II when I was three years old. I knew in my heart that he loved me. My mother told me that he loved me. But I always longed to hear it for myself from him. When my mother and stepfather retired and left Alaska, I came over one day to help them pack. Mom took an old army photograph of my father in his army uniform off of her dresser and gave it to me. And she said, here, this is for you. I know your father would have wanted you to have it. It was the same photograph I had seen for many years. As I took the picture from her, I accidentally dropped it, and the cheap metal frame hit the floor and broke, shattering the glass. Sick at heart, I reached down to salvage what was left of this family treasure. But behind the photograph, I found a letter, placed there 37 years before and long since forgotten. It was a letter from my father to me. 
his three-year-old son. The last letter he had written before he died. And in it he said that he loved me and that he longed to come home and be with me. Unbelievably, I finally heard the words that I had longed to hear from a dad who was long since dead. Every one of us wants that. We were created for that, to be blessed by dad. And when we don't have that, it leaves a wound. Why did this man need to hear his father say, I love you? And why was he so excited to share it with Dan? Because the glory of sons is their father's. Why is it that at the end of a day, a, young, an old, a, a man comes home and opens the door to his house and his young three-year-old comes running, screaming, yelling with joy on his face and jumps into his daddy's arms? Because the glory of sons is their father's. Why is it that there's a 40-year-old man sitting in a hotel room and he's angry and he weeps and he has a hole in his heart? Because the glory of sons is their dad's. That's why. For many of us, remembering dad can be emotional whitewater. And let me tell you guys, I know that. And I'm with you. This is a safe place here. It can be emotional whitewater, but you know what? It's good to go there and learn and heal. And we're just cracking that open here today. It's good to go there. It's not necessarily good to stay there, but it's good to go there. And that's why I wanted to bring you there today and start your journey of looking back at the root. Now what we're going to do next week is move on from there. We're going to take all of what I've said today and we're going to wrap it up. And for those of us who have a wound, we're going to talk about how to heal that wound and how to break free from it. That's next week. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.